Hello and welcome to the UC Architects episode number 22, recorded on 19th of May 2013. I'm your host, Steve Goodman, and this week I'm joined by Dave Stork, Joanne Veldas, John Cook, Michelle DeRoy, and Starley Hansen. Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me uh, again. <laughs> How's things with you? Pretty much the same as uh, the last uh, podcast, uh, mostly uh, finishing uh, two uh, Exchange 2013 uh, deployments, or uh, actually one. One is already uh, finished uh, officially, formally, but some uh, with some new uh, insights, I'm uh, pro- going to make some proposals for uh, improvements on the configuration, uh, and especially with the uh, uh, new sizing uh, uh, information that has been released, I uh, probably have to do some tweaking. So listeners will want to know, was it a success? Well, that depends on what you find a success. <laughs> Does it work? <laughs> well, Are people throwing things at you? Well, that was the diplomatic answer. But I personally call it, call it a success. It, it was our own company's migration, and it uh, we previously didn't have any Exchange server. So you were moving from a third-party product anyway, so yeah. it's not a standard sort of upgrade. No. And yeah, all those new features. Uh, I think that um, uh, it, yeah, we can call it a success, and uh, all users uh, love it. There's uh, a lot less uh, complaining on our uh, internet forum about this uh, about Exchange than it was uh, with our previous product. Fantastic! So users love Exchange 2013. That's the headline from yep. Dave this week. Yeah. And Joanne. Hi, Steve. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How's things? Yeah. Pretty busy. Working uh, on a project, still uh, to re- redesign the database for a change uh, 2010 environment, and also had some uh, some additional work with the uh, phone app, which we will uh, discuss uh, within a yes. moment. Uh, the amazing phone app, yeah. I should add. Yes, uh, and John, how are you? Good, good to be back. Uh, sorry, I missed the last one. I was um, otherwise occupied. I think when you guys recall <laughs> recorded. Yeah, uh, just trying to catch up after being sort of out of loop for two weeks at uh, rotation 15 of MCSM, Exchange 2013. So you so. were on the MCSM rotation for Exchange 2013 uh, over in Redmond then, weren't you? That is correct. It was, uh, one doesn't normally say good time, you know, <laughs> in relation to a <laughs> master's rotation, but uh, it was a good time generally. Good training was good. I'll be continuing to enjoy the training because I'll need to study to retake. Oh, I don't know about the quality, yet, but I, I uh, we... Uh, we got our written results, and I need to retake, but it is what it is, right? So I'll be I'll be revisiting my notes several times, I'm sure. Well, yeah, second time's best, or is it first is worse, second is best? Yeah, it's not <laughs> my first time of retake, so <laughs> so I, I know the drill. Um, but yeah, good training, good time. I'm glad to be back, though, of course. Uh, Michelle, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks, Steve. Uh, what have you been up to the last few weeks? I think it's been a month since I spoke to you. Yeah, just returned last weekend from uh, from a two week holiday. Yeah, and then continued working uh, the customer where we are doing a carve out uh, at the moment, which also includes uh, exchange migration and cross forest uh, stuff. So very interesting. Fun stuff. And Stole, how's things? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Steve, and uh, thanks for uh, having me back. Yeah, um, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Well, I've been uh, on vacation two, for two weeks in uh, in Florida, Orlando. Orlando, Florida, maybe it's called. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, with lots of good food. So 
experiencing the American culture and stuff. So uh, that was fun. Cool. And uh, before that, I uh, I did uh, a new rotation of my link administration course. And uh, yeah, it was uh, fun. And uh, this week, I'm looking forward to actually speaking at some customer um, conferences. So I'm uh, going to do a lot of link uh, demos and talks. Looking forward to that as well. So back from the holiday, you're busy again. Of course, and uh, <laughs> that's the best <laughs> no, way. No, no one does my work for me, so uh, <laughs> I need to do it. Uh, take up the where things left off. So. Well, thank you guys, and let's start the show with today's uh, top stories. And the first one up is it's a big one for for those listening. The sizing guidance and the Exchange Server 2013 role requirements calculators bum, have bum, been bum, released. <laughs> Finally. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've all been waiting for it. And uh, there's been some, some mixed feedback. I, I'm quite happy. I like it. I like what comes out the other end. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, who well. wants to start? <laughs> well, if you remember your vendor, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I think I think that I think that we all uh, saw that at first that the memory requirements uh, of really small environment or really small exchange servers they start at twenty four gigs, and that is uh, something entirely different uh, what we are used to with uh, Exchange twenty ten. Yeah. So, but if you look at Exchange two thousand and seven to twenty ten, that was a Reasonable jump as well, wasn't it? Um, I don't recall that. I don't have the figures in my head at, at the time. Yeah. But but what we do have to remember is that the 2010 calculator was purely for the mailbox role. Yes. And this is for, uh, well, actually, Exchange 2013, all roles combined, especially because the mailbox role has all the business intelligence. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's got the unified messaging role, and uh, we all know that that is... Also, with 2010, uh, quite a uh, memory uh, user. Well, yeah, if you were virtualizing that, uh, exactly. they'd recommend yeah. 16 gig on its own, <laughs> um, which right. was quite high. And, of course, hub transport, client access. Well, the, the, the rendering of client access, the core of what's 2010 client access is in that mailbox role as well. So... We we had a look at some of this sizing and uh, yeah that that twenty four gig figure and if you put in a small environment you know a hundred users just to see what comes out the other end hundred users small like one gig mailboxes and the IOPS are lower you need even less disk but twenty four gig was pretty high and Michelle had a look at some of the calculations uh, to to see why it why the calculator suddenly adds all the extra RAM on. Yeah, I'm one of those guys uh, which dives into the formulas behind the calculation. And some of you may have also noticed there are some hidden rows of that calculation sheet. You dive in there, you see what's going on behind the scenes of the calculation. And well, what I've seen so far is that it's more detailed, as far as I can see, in uh, how it comes up with all the figures uh, from for calculating memory requirements and stuff. But what's uh, is also apparent, and that's also noticed in the uh, related technical article, uh, which you should consult if you want to do things manually, is that the indexing engine takes up quite a lot of memory, and that 
this is severe, yeah, not severe, but some form of penalty when you're designing small environments because that's standardized at around 10 gigs. I don't know how they come up with that figure. There are some. But uh, you can imagine if you have if you have a it. small memory acquired and you add that 10 gigs, and yeah, then there's also a standard memory acquirement table behind that. That's in one of the hidden worksheets, and yeah, then you're in luck or you're not in luck because uh, depending on if you if the calculation sets you at 15 gigs or 16 gigs, yeah, it will recommend 24 gigs or 16 gigs and yeah that's you're in luck or you're not in luck so it's a, it's a case of uh, as it steps up via uh, various 16 gig once it hits that then it adds a certain amount on it's it's not down to the the number of users specifically it's almost like uh, there's a bunch of different combinations that it can come out with at the other side yeah i don't know from ahead but yeah, it's uh, certain steps. You, you you go from four to eight to sixteen to twenty four, and then it adds up real quickly. So yeah, and then it more or less rounds up the calculated size to that recommended size. So yeah, we we talked about that twenty four gig almost as if it was. It's not a baseline though. So I, well, I had a look at a completely different environment and looked at, at uh, I think it was about two thousand users. I got some sizing for. 2010, which uh, yeah. they'd implemented, that worked fine, knew knew what that environment kind of looked like, and that was a two-node DAG, it was running on RAID, a uh, customer wasn't the kind of customer that uh, was in any way ready for things like JBOD, uh, so I, I thought, okay, let's, let's try and rethink how I'd do this for 2013, because with auto-reseed, you, you've got to consider JBOD first, at least I think, uh, anyway, and increase the count of servers. I said, right, let's try and go with uh, the building block mythology uh, and try and go for servers where they don't need any additional storage outside of the box, they don't need any additional rays, uh, and see what that comes out with. So uh, increase the number of servers to four and ended up using 74 fewer disks. So it was 110 disks in Exchange 2010 and 36 in Exchange 2013. But the weird thing was, when we're talking about the RAM, is the RAM requirements were actually the same. They were 16 gig. Well, for twice as much, because there's twice as many nodes, but they were 16 gig per node, and they were 16 gig per node in Exchange 2010. So the, so the calculator doesn't always come up with the same thing. Were these multi-roll or were they split? Uh, multi-roll again. So everything multi-roll, uh, 16 gig of RAM. Yeah, I would have thought the... The number of users per, per per node drop. Well, yeah, but still, the twenty four gig was hundred users, and the the sixteen gig was two thousand or two thousand five hundred. So across four nodes, but three copies anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the 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 calculator and then Jeff Millif's um, you know corresponding article that came out, I think a couple of days before, whatever, on you know the, the long article kind of describing the performance changes, you know, sizing changes. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there and it's important to read that. Um, I realize that if, you know, that just going through and, and seeing, you know, you know the, 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 the takeaways of, you know, up to three times CPU, three times RAM, people are going to, you know, jump to the conclusion that, that you know, that, that that's always going to be the case. That may not be the case. 
Uh, it's important, you know, to look at the ESE changes, I think, um, in 2013, the way cash is allocated. It's a lot different than 2010. And, um, you know, the number of co active copies, but also the number of maximum active copies comes into play, too. So that's kind of important to, to, to think about um, at RAM. And like you were touching on earlier, the, the one of the biggest uh, new kind of ads is going to be fast. And, you know, the rest of the IS processes that are going to be running on a multi-role box um, are going to definitely take some resources away. I mean, I think one thing it's important, to, you know, to, to conceptualize is that, you know, some of the IOP gains um, and reduction has been traded for cycles and, and, and RAM, right? So we're getting better IOPs because we're caching differently and using more uh, CPU to get better IO than, than just straight, you know, disk performance. That's the way I interpret it anyway. Well, one thing that... Uh we'll have on 2010 boxes at the moment is already too many cpu cores we already have more cpu cores than we need so you go right it needs double the cpu cores but we're, we're buying servers with what six cores anyway when it, we might only have needed two yeah i mean that's the other thing too it's also important i think um the, the if you read through the information i mean one of the things to rationalize is that the the, the second value of a cpu for a 2010 build you know three years ago that same speckant you know is going to be at least some of the data we've seen is going to be correlative. So there's been at least, you know, two and a half times increase of general CPU performance for the same socket, you know, than there was three years ago. So I think, I think on a CPU front, a lot of the, you know, re increased requirements are going to be a wash because if you're buying a box today for 13, it's going to be, you know, kind of a net gain, you know, based on the, you know, processor, you know, uh, enhancements in the past few years. Now, those people come in and want to reuse hardware from 2010. Like, let's say you just, you know, you, you came to 2010 late and you, you, you just now bought your hardware, yeah. um, you know, a couple of years ago or a year ago and you're in a three-year lease cycle. That's, those people are going to be unhappy <laughs> or that's going to be a challenge, I think. Um, but uh, I suppose the question is, are you going to, uh, you're not going to upgrade to 2013 just because you can, you've got to have a, a good reason to do so. And you're going to have to think about those costs. It's and additionally, um, I think especially for the, the the smaller customers, I think that there could be a, a push or, or, or more attractive uh, a pool from Exchange Online or other uh, online hosters instead of um, um, deploying your own uh, redundant uh, Exchange 2013 environment. Well, yeah, and but you you need to now we've got the calculator. You can do those the maths to try and work out what's going to cost you more. You can see whether you're going to be able to perhaps replace some of the servers, but also let, let's say you're on 2010 and you're in the scenario where you're looking to upgrade. You've got some options now. You can reuse a lot. You can give people bigger quotas, but you might need to add a, a CPU and some extra RAM, and you're going to get more benefits from the disk side than buying a few hundred quid processors and uh, spending a, a grand on RAM. The, you'll get much more value. But looking at what you're telling now, is you're still sizing on physical hardware? or? Well, if it's virtual hardware, then you, you're not going to make yeah, big inroads on JBoard. Yeah, but that's a strange thing with that calculator, because the reason for that table for memory increase is based on the... The RAM kits uh, that are available in the virtualization world, that rule doesn't apply. So Then I wonder why it's not disabled. That sounds interesting. That sounds like a bug. Maybe I'll have to take a bit of a peek inside this. Really? They're based on the RAM kits? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I, I, if I recall correctly, that's also on the TechNet article. Yeah, because um, 
RAM kits are available in certain sizes and your virtualization you can size per gig or whatever you want. Uh, now that's not a uh, exact uh, uh, exact math of course, but it's a bit weird. Well, I tried to to disable and add, enable the virtualization setting in the in the calculator, and it didn't change anything for my environment. So that mm. I, f I found that a bit weird, especially when when uh, taking consideration uh, with the unified messaging role that when virtualized yeah. in 2010, it, it it needed a lot of memory uh, for for uh, I gather is that needed in inverted commas. Or in quotes, uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, at least it was it was uh, for a supported situation in 2010 with a unified yeah. message role in virtualized environments. Then you had to have at least uh, uh, 16 gig. And, yeah. Um, uh, I would I would suppose that that uh, would return in a 2013 environment, and with uh, when you go virtual then uh, you would need more memory. And when you don't go virtual, you would, uh, well, you will run in those um, 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 uh, memory banks configuration like um, Michelle said. At least well, that was, was my expectation, but it apparently isn't so. Well, I'm gonna have a look on my screen now and I've got the, the calculator up and obviously you guys can't see this at home, yeah. uh, but when I, when I flip the bit, uh, between virtualization, yeah, it makes no difference. It's 16 gig. It doesn't suddenly change to its real requirement. Uh, it would be nicer to see that uh, what it needs, not what memory kits are available. Exactly. Because uh, that it is this stuff about we the exchange team don't want people to virtualize exchange. They are going to, and th there's no stopping that. Uh, and there's an, another uh, issue when you go, uh, when you virtualize is the, well, I'm not an expert on this subject, I, so I, I just know the basics of it. Uh, you have the, uh, the Numa boundary uh, when you go uh, virtual that uh, I think that was, or is that with uh, multiprocessor anyway? I don't know, I'm not sure anyway, but you have an, an optimal amount of memory you can appoint to a virtual memory. Uh, otherwise you uh, share it with another processor or something like that. I'm not quite sure how uh, NUMA boundaries work, but I had a situation with a customer that, uh, and they couldn't appoint more. The, the virtualization admin said, we cannot have larger memory banks or larger memory than 16 gigs appointed to one virtual machine. So that will, in, in those cases, will be uh, very interesting how, how you can deploy Exchange 2013. Yeah, I, I think one thing that you'd hope will come in future iterations is dose of reality then. But as base sizing, at least you know that you've got something that you could go off and use. And there are virtual machines with large amounts of RAM. But yeah, as you say, it, there's nothing, as far as I'm aware, Exchange 2013 isn't NUMA, doesn't understand NUMA and neither, we know Exchange 2010 doesn't. Uh, so, but we'll just have to, to live with that and see what we get out. But uh, no doubt we will come back to this, uh, these sizing calculations. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, in a future episode, out. because it's it's one of those things that's going to come back and back and back. And as, as we see more and more out in the field, we're going to be able to see how our reality hits. And moving on to our next topic, the Exchange Virtual Conference. Paul Cunningham. Exchange Server Pro has 
put together a new conference with one of us on the show here, Joanne, is uh, presenting on it. And we've got one, two, three, four, five, six speakers so far, including uh, Paul himself. And it's uh, a conference for, for those of you who didn't go to Mech or haven't been to Mech uh, and want to hear from some of the, the big names. Sirkan's presenting, Joanne's presenting, uh, J. Peter, I... I don't know. To, I, I don't know how to pronounce his surname. J. Peter Brzezzi. So, if that's wrong, <laughs> apologies. Uh, Yap Wasselius, Michael, another UC architect, Michael Van Horenbeek, and of course Paul Cunningham uh, are all doing sessions at that. And that's at ExchangeVirtualConference.com. Uh, so check that out because that's uh, starting on May the twenty seventh. And uh, Joanne, uh, back to you. We've got a new app, haven't we? Yeah, we. Uh... Oh it or it was certified this week so it was available from the from in the store there this week so yeah if you like windows phone if you've got a windows phone and you listen to the uc architects you can now download us to your phone and take us everywhere that you go yeah a new version will be uh, available soon because we uh, we implemented some I think it's called extra fixes and some code optimization. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear. Uh, you can you can download it. It's you can download episodes to listen to it, or you can stream it if you like. And you can find info about the UC Architects. Yes, it's not just a podcast app, is it? It's got uh, oh. links to all the the resources, all the stuff on the blog, Twitter, and stuff like that as well. So it's yeah. it, it's uh, it's integrated with with what. Uh, we're doing, and of course, it's a uh, you know live in interaction on a day to day basis as well. So when Andrew Price is uh, tweeting as the UC architects accidentally instead of using his own account, then you'll see it on your phone too. And um, it's it's very good. My it's on my wife's phone because unfortunately I, I've still got an iPhone, and she she thinks it's amazing, or in her words, I really don't care, Steve. Stop messing with my phone. But. <laughs> Uh, I, I every time you do an update for it, I want to go out and get a Windows phone just just so I can have it, just so I can bring it around. Uh, so so we'll pop uh, the link up to download that from the Windows Phone App Store, and of course, don't forget it's free, uh, naturally. So well done, Joanne, and we look forward to uh, the the upcoming bug fixes that make it even better. Yeah, yeah, me too. Though that it does cost a lot of time, but it's. It is really nice uh, to see that people like it. So it's for a good goal. And that's our top stories for this week. Uh, moving on to our topics, we've got quite a lot uh, coming up in the show today. We've got how many exchange topics? One, two, three, four. And we've got quite a few link ones as well. Stanley is going to be very busy. Uh, one, two, <laughs> three, four, five, six, seven. Seven uh, link topics. Wow, it is going to be packed for the rest of the show. I'm just looking at the time we've been going. Uh, just over half an hour so far. Oh, just under half an hour. Uh, so it's going to be a nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're probably not going to deep uh, go and deep dive on anything uh, on today's show. First one up though is Active Directory Federation Services. Now, one thing uh, that uh, that that people don't like about ADFS is having to implement extra servers. So if you're a small exchange organisation. You've got one or two exchange servers, uh, and you're moving to the cloud. Uh, you've got to put in DirtSync, and you've got to put in, if you want to use on-premise credentials, uh, you want to have the, the full single sign-on, 
you've got to put in ADFS servers and you've probably got to have two of them. So you could end up starting with one exchange server and ending up with maybe two servers, maybe three servers, uh, just to support Office 365. Uh, that's not a particularly good story. Uh, oh, yeah, ADFS proxy. So what's that? If you're going to have them all, one, two, three, perhaps five servers to replace your exchange infrastructure. It's, it's a complete waste of time um, until now. <laughs> and that's, uh, uh, that's because the ADFS on Azure guidance has now come out. And um, what you can do is you can build your Azure tenant, use the new generally available Azure VM roles, connect into your on-premise VM from a number of different vendors, and then host those ADFS machines in the cloud as well. You can if you want to put DirSync there as well, um, but basically you need to have, ideally, an AD domain controller sitting in Azure uh, with those, then with ADFS. And what this guidance does is give you the sort of templates that you might want to consider for building out that kind of infrastructure. Uh, and that's available to download now, and we'll put the link up to that. Uh, so a lot of people have been waiting a while for that. Yeah, so that's the ADFS and Azure guidance. Our next topic. Paul Cunningham, Exchange Server Pro. Yes, he's mentioned a few times this week. Where is he? He's damn off. It's Monday morning where he is. He's probably getting ready for work right now. Uh, has released uh, another update, uh, version 1.2 of his script. It's had 10,000 downloads, so it's pretty popular. And that's his Exchange uh, Health Check report uh, for Exchange 2010. Test Exchange Server Health.ps1. A uh, new version of that is out. Go download it now. Link will be on the podcast website. So if you haven't checked that out before, uh, as always with Paul stuff, uh, it's, a, it's a great tool and uh, suitable for pulling in some information. Uh, a bit like uh, my exchange report script, uh, but does something slightly different. Michelle, uh, you've been really busy scripting lately, haven't you? Well, occasionally you get uh, an issue with a customer where you uh, create a script for it, which is... Um, more generally uh, usable. So tell us how this script came about and, uh, and then, then tell us uh, more about your uh, removing messages by message class script. Well, as I said earlier, I'm currently working on a carve-out, including exchange, uh, moving of mailboxes. And they're using an archive product and they won't be using an archive product in the new environment. So they were either forced to... Uh, recreate those messages from the archive, uh, replacing the stubs, but it was a lengthy process. Uh, so they choose to uh, leave the archives as is, but then they uh, needed to remove all the stubs, only visible as a blank message when you move those. Yeah, so I created a script to remove all those stubs, which required a few, from the mailboxes, and after that they can move, uh, migrate the mailboxes to the new environment, and they won't have that uninteresting, non-usable uh, entries in the mailbox anymore. So, And when I was uh, googling if there was already a solution for that in place, um, I didn't find anything really usable, and there were some solutions which were client-oriented. And then I uh, yeah, thought, well, that should be doable with uh, web services, so that's where it uh, started out. Yeah, it's good stuff, actually. I, I was taking a look at the and that that's, that comes up a lot more than you think. Getting rid of these stubs, and and uh, especially when you vaulting products been around a long time and are moving to something else or just going to native native archiving, you know, getting rid of some of these stubs is a pain. So I see a lot of people checking it out. 
So is that the message uh, stub removal script doing well so far? Because I, I say I've seen a lot of retweets on it. Uh, has it been quite popular? Given it's only been up a week. Well, I haven't looked actually because uh, when you put it on the technet gallery, you only get stats after a few uh, a few days or so. Yeah. Uh, but I also I already got some feedback on it that people were going to use it or will be using it uh, in the near future because they also got an issue of moving away from archiving products and moving to large mailbox uh, solutions with Exchange only. So yeah, that makes it worthwhile to uh, put something up uh, for the general public. Uh, and for those unaware, stops. Yes. Um, maybe should we clarify a bit? Yeah, when you got a, a message in your mailbox that takes up a certain amount of space and archiving products have, most of them have the ability to replace that item with let's say a shortcut and then the actual mail item goes to the archive so there is some additional software required to retrieve the original message from your archive when you open the entry up from Outlook or from Outlook Web Access. So, Cool, so we'll put the links up to both that script and, uh, and of course your other uh, update for your Exchange 2013 installation script up on the website as well. Uh, Joanne, we were having a, a look, I think, between a, a few of us at this Exchange 2013 management pack that's come out. And uh, th- this is quite a, an interesting release. It's uh, it's yeah. not just a little update. It's a complete ground-up rewrite. Yeah, yeah. The reason for it is because Exchange can monitor itself because of the managed availability feature included in Exchange. And with the managed availability feature... Which everyone's gonna love so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it contains uh, it contains several logics to the to determine the the health of your uh, your environment and report any issues and automatically recover issues and I'm pretty uh, curious how it will uh, will work in the in the real world. No, I've not installed it yet. I've not got a, a scum test lab, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it sounds yeah. interesting. It almost sounds like a management pack that says. Exchange, tell me if you're going wrong. And Exchange goes, yeah, okay. Right, you do the work and just report to me, which is actually yeah. not you know, necessarily a bad thing. If you've got, if you've got native, native, you know, uh, monitoring, why reinvent the wheel and and you know and have competing different monitoring stuff. If if the Exchange team is going to write you know their core set of monitoring stuff in your your system center, then just pick that up and report on it, right? And do what System Center does well, I guess is the thinking. Yeah, but for example, one one big change is that. Uh, the, the management pack will not collect the, the performance counters uh, anymore because it relies on the yeah on the feature of exchange itself. It, however, you're still able to uh, to look at the perfor- performance counters by uh, by selecting them. But I, I think it's a big plus because now Scum is dependent on the product, and well, who knows the product product better than the product team itself, who built the new feature, including all the nice and funny stuff to. Uh, to fix things automatically. So, and this is building directly on their learnings from Office 365 or yep. Exchange Online. Uh, I think that the mom blog talks about how the Exchange team developers don't like being woken up in the middle of the night with uh, pointless alerts, uh, and they're getting all the alerts for the Exchange Online environment. So they've built this management pack based on what they found uh, was was useful, uh, real issues that they had to get out of bed and fix. Uh, so it's not telling them about things that are completely inconsequential. Yeah, yeah I'm. Uh, I've got well 
the last few months I've been uh, diving into uh, to scum forex chainsers and then uh, more more in deep dive and yeah you need to do a lot of tuning by default to get nice alerts and don't get false alerts which are not really applicable to your environment or kind of stuff or pretty some bugs in the previous management packs except the last one which is was released a few months ago it's game better so so how, how much tuning uh in, in days so if you're implementing the management pack at the moment for a customer how how many days do you think it would take yeah it's an ongoing process because it depends really depends on the environment because yeah most times you've got specific people who do the monitoring stuff and the scum stuff so in my, my current role i I also look at at SCOM and try to fine tune it because it's more people are using it as a baseline um, for their for their environment. And if you get false alerts or alerts which are not applicable or are caused by an issue of the product, which also can be the case, then you don't want to see those alerts because it will create a sometimes it creates an amount of alerts that will um, you you will you will lose the overview and you will you won't see the more important issues that you have in your environment so that scom tuning to bring that environment uh, to a, a place where the a customer thinks it's actually useful uh, for exchange 2010 uh, does that take a couple of days to to set up and and work through with the customer in, in most cases it's done within a few days but it's an ongoing process, uh, as I already mentioned. Yeah. So when you're, you from from knowledge, you of course can implement several rules or several additional things, such as things as work with a customer with a pretty large environment, and sometimes the users hit the max amount or the maximum size of uh, outer rules which they have configured. Well, by default, Scum doesn't generate an alert for it. You ca- you can, however, generate an alert for it. Uh, with SCOM, of course, SCOM can then create a ticket in a service manager and the help desk can, can pick up uh, those things. So you're having the ability to be more proactive to the users. And that's something we heard from the users. Yeah, it's pretty positive. Well, the, what I was getting at was, is this new management pack going to perhaps reduce the overall costs of exchange? But uh, the feeling I get is time will tell yeah that that's with, with every product but i think it's a pretty positive way that it's more done on the exchange side because it the guys from the product team and the specific parts from the product team they know exactly how exchange will react and will need to work and then will provide that information to scum because i think it will decrease the amount of false alerts or things which you shouldn't pay attention to uh but yeah, as you said, we will need to see how it uh, will uh, will work in the real, real life. And that's not the only management pack uh, that's been released lately either. Uh, we've also got the Link 2013 management pack as well, uh, which uh, Starlay is going to tell us a little bit more about. The Link 2013 management pack actually was released uh, in December or January. And it's been around for a couple of months already. The reason for me mentioning now because I um, managed to get an article on the, the link blog, the next hub blog, with an uh, highlight for um, the um, 
uh, Link and, uh, and SCUM and, um, and Operation Manager. So um, the article was more about uh, why implement Operation Manager with Link and uh, also showing what you get when you implement it. For Link, I think um, it's important to uh, implement uh, the Operation Manager integration uh, when Link is your phone system because uh, then it's more important to know before the user does if the servers are down or some services are down or there is some issues experienced across the network and the good thing about the uh, operation um, management packs for link is that you have uh, you get the QoE reports and the CDR reports so if you see a trending drop in um, calls, bad quality over the networks, uh, you need to uh, look into the issues. And the good thing is that um, error messages in, in uh, the uh, operation management monitoring view gives you more correct information like the diagnostics header for uh, failed calls uh, and stuff. So I think management pack with the link is uh, important and I think it uh, helps you narrow down the scope faster but uh, in order to use it as a tool it is you really need to tune it as uh, Johan said. My recommendation is uh, sit down with a link guy and the operation manager guy and uh, work things through and uh, it's also a um, uh, an ongoing process of course but you need to have it green before the um, administrators can take over the solution and so one new thing in uh, in 2013 is uh, you have this uh, watcher nodes which i also explain in the article and uh, the watcher nodes uh, run synthetic transactions against the link uh, environment uh, continuously and um, they are now even better than before because you now have more control over what tests uh, are being run and um, the test being run is actual users logging on to solution testing instant messaging testing conferencing testing audio and video testing external uh, sign-in and also testing other components like uh, your phone system your uh, unified messaging role Actually, there are more unified messaging tests in Link than in Exchange. So you need to tune your watcher node as well. And what I have experienced that you have more control over your watcher node uh, than you have uh, in, in 2013 than you had in, uh, in 2010. So um, yeah, you have some event uh, IDs you can look for uh, to see where it is in your, uh, where it is in, in its testing round uh, and so on. I really think um, a good tuned uh, uh, link and operation manager deployment is uh, a valuable tool because especially link is so complex to troubleshoot, uh, complex to have an overview. Of. So uh, it, it, especially if, it, if it's your phone system and it's your conferencing system, it's your dialing conferencing, it's your chat system, it's everything, uh, you need to stay on top of the solution. So is it likely to require a lot more effort to put in all the, the extra additions to to get it fitted into SCOM? No, actually, um, a good thing about the 2013 edition is um, the link servers will discover themselves. So they will um, t 
they will self-discover and report what features uh, they can uh, be monitored on. And then you have these watcher nodes, which I don't think are optional, and you can place them around the network. And this needs to be configured. So you you shouldn't take lightly lightly on um, on a uh, operation manager implementation with Link because uh, you need to tune it and it needs to be correct. And then you can add more components like network components or gateways or other good tests to test your uh, zip trunk uh, line, see that if that is up and, and stuff like that. Does it have any exchange online, link online integration as well for UM uh, monitoring exchange online UM, for example? Uh, actually, I'm not sure because it does have a UM test. And it yeah. will look for the user being UM enabled. And then it will actually call and leave a message in the UM mailbox. And um, I suppose it would work for uh, online as well. But uh, I, I'm not sure, though. Because that, that's obviously what one point of failure that the, that uh, if you're monitoring Exchange, you might pick up. But uh, if it's Exchange Online, you might not. And, and uh, the Link Online side of, of things as well, does it have any integration for that? Uh, only the command is for um, testing the federation through the edge server, testing the um, federation um, scope. Uh, so no specific link online command that's being tested there. But of course, uh, things like hybrid link uh, become a little bit less important now, don't they? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Which brings us nicely onto our next topic. Uh, and that's this uh, link hybrid, uh, which is where uh, a single SIP domain is shared between Link Online and on-premise is is now removed from current offerings. Is that right? Uh, it's not entirely right, entirely right because it's only part of it. You have a uh, hybrid voice being yes. removed, but split domain is still there and still a viable option. So what came this week was that on Nextop, they uh, Jamie Stark announced that they are deprecating the. Uh, uh, hybrid voice option for Link and Link Online. Yeah. So, so how will things like PSD and connectivity work? The, the thing about that is hybrid voice is when your user is on um, Link Online and enabled with um, for enterprise voice uh, utilizing your on-premise SIP trunk. The reason for them uh, removing this feature is the first one is that a uh, few companies have implemented it. And the second thing is uh, they um, it was too many limitations uh, for it was too many features not being available for the link online users. And for me, the biggest one maybe is uh, dialing conferencing. If you're on a link online pool, uh, dialing conferencing won't be available for you. You could only dial out and dial in, but uh, nothing conferences. For that, you needed to subscribe to a conferencing service for a link online. Right, third party, ACP. So what's the, the current picture now? What's the extent of, uh, of hybrid link? What's the, the state of the nation on it? Well, hybrid link uh, works as before. You have this split domain where you can share shared namespace across uh, on-premise and um, link online, and you can move users across the solution. But uh, as soon as you move them for on, on link online, they won't be able to dial out through your on-premise solution, which is the new thing. But they, uh, they are simple users uh, being able to do federation and chat and, co uh, and uh, online conferencing and uh, stuff like that. And uh, since Microsoft within 18 months have committed themselves to have enterprise voice in Link Online, 
their they wanted to um, simplify their message by saying um, you have link enterprise voice on premises and then you have link enterprise voice uh, in online and the online being a complete solution so that that's why they deprecating the hybrid offer right okay so enterprise voice enabled stay on prem if they're not they can move up to the cloud uh, but they won't they, they still won't get things like uh, dialing conferencing from outside yeah mm. so as I understand it, not many customers had implemented hybrid voice then. No, and uh, those who uh, have implemented, Microsoft is helping move either way, on full online or back to on-premise. Uh, but th this is not uh, a, a big loss. The, the levels I heard were the kind of that you could count on one hand kind of thing. So, it's, uh, so it wasn't a wi widely popular uh, since uh, GA. No, and and the customers were that uh, looked into it. They um, uh, had their users being on-premise for enterprise voice anyways so they chose because of the lack of features uh, for the online users chose to have their enterprise voice users to be on-premise so no big loss anyway then no it's a simplifying of message from microsoft and the, the next topic is it's link 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 all the way down uh, almost to the bottom and so we get to uh, mentioning the g word <laughs> joanne uh We've got yeah. some, some changes that uh, a lot of uh, link admins uh, are going to take note of uh, with the certificate updates. Yeah, that's correct. Before uh, a specific date, uh, it's uh, the 1st of June, customers or partners will, will need to take action because Microsoft uh, will change uh, some certificates. More. And it's only applicable to the link mobile users for Windows Phone and, uh, and iOS. And it's... Uh, to be more specific, it's for the uh, push notification service. Currently, Microsoft is uh, is using uh, a CyberTrust global root certificate, and they will be moved to uh, to to another CyberTrust root. Uh, the Baltimore one, I think. Yeah, yeah the Baltimore. Baltimore one, indeed, because it's more secure. According to them, it's uh, uses a stronger key and hashing algorithm, that kind of stuff. So you've got to make sure that you've got that root certificate on your link servers. You don't have to touch your clients. Yeah. 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 So what Microsoft re recommends is to perform a Windows updates regularly and verify that the Baltimore certificate is already present in the local computer trusted root certification authorities. And that's going to cover off the chains as well and things like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it, but that kind of goes contrary somewhat to, to what we all know is that usually, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I usually disable automatic root updating on my edge servers for that reason, because every time something changes, um, you yeah. can lose, you know, pick or, or federation with certain companies. So, you know, that's that's going to be a rub when, I'm hopefully, it's, you know, this is kind of minimized, but I mean, I think best case, if you have that disabled, or if you don't know you have it disabled, find out, um, and then manually update your chains on the, you can just go to the page in the KB for updating the root and I don't know if we can include that but there's a main page you can go to if you don't have automatic updates on and, and just go through and update each one of them manually we'll try and give it a go uh, pop that link through to us and we'll put that on and the the other one is if you federate with Microsoft as well uh, you'll need to update those so by federate with yep. Microsoft that's uh, sending IMs uh, to Microsoft employees Overlink. Yeah, I even had an issue uh, join, joining some. It was only it's it, well, you know, depending on what pool they're on, um, but uh, certain groups at Microsoft, I couldn't join link conferences until I updated mine, and all of a, you know, it was definitely working fine weeks ago, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't join uh, a link conference with certain 
group Microsoft groups, but updating my root chain fixed that in- instantly. <laughs> cool. So, so it's not just if you federate with them. It might also be if you join Microsoft conferences. Yeah. Yeah. So that so it is important. Uh, it's worth updating. That. Yeah. It's not just uh, it's not just for the few. It, so if you have Windows Phone, iOS, which uh, both use the push notifications, you need to make sure you've updated those root certs, or you you follow the articles that yeah, we're linked to. Yeah, but also your servers. Yeah. From from what I understood from the uh, the article, so yeah, so so make sure your link environment and your uh, yeah and your phones are um, having the the latest root uh, update, and you should not be losing connectivity or features. And talking of updates, we've got a few more, and some of them sound quite serious. Uh, so we've got some client updates for the Link 2013 client, but vulnerabilities as well. Remote code execution, that doesn't sound very nice, Starle. Yes, uh, the Link 2013 May update arrived, and uh, it's for the Link clients. Uh, and for me, it solved a, a critical issue regarding desktop sharing, where um, desktop sharing would fail for uh, some users if they had applied previous updates in the wrong order or something. I had a client that had big trouble with desktop sharing and um, there was a workaround uh, regarding uninstalling and installing in the correct order, but uh, that wasn't easy to implement uh, within the company. So um, this fix, uh, this recent update helped uh, and uh, solved this issue and uh, confirmed it on my own client and and the customer confirmed it as well. That was what I um, uh, noted about this uh, update, especially fixing. Anyone else um, experienced any other fixes in this update? No, what was the sharing issue you were having, just out of curiosity? Yeah, it was, uh, it would fail uh, on the receiving part if uh, your client was patched in the wrong order or something. So uh, and it was re- reproducible, and uh, the link group reached out and um, admitted it was a known bug, and they were fixing it as fast as they could. I think mainly for this update was this uh, desktop sharing issue. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the the list of what's in there, and I don't see it mentioned. But uh, often there's a a few more in that don't get mentioned in it. Yeah. And a lot of other stuff, but I haven't experienced any of these uh, issues, so I can't. Uh, there's probably some good stuff in there. And we'll have the link to that on the on the accompanying article for the, the site. But there's uh, also uh, more worrying uh, issues at hand. Yeah, so as of, uh, I think uh, it was yesterday, it was released a security bulletin for a link where you have the possibility of remote code execution. So yesterday being the 18th of May. Yeah, 18th or 17th, I'm not sure. And um, if you have uh, for the current update rollup for um, a cumulative update for uh, Link, the February one, uh, on the Link 2013 server, you should implement this um, KB update, this security update. It will come through uh, Windows Update, but uh, a lot of uh, servers are probably updated manually as well. It's highly recommended to implement it. And um, the vulnerability is within uh, web conferencing, where a user within a existing conference could share some content with you and you download it, and that would give the sharing 
user access to your computer with your uh, computer rights. So it's probably less critical for users on lockdown computers, but it's more critical for users on uh, computers with administrator rights. Uh, and this could affect then people having external attendees to conferences and so on? Yeah, and anonymous uh, participants and stuff like that. It is uh, theoretically possible and uh, you should, of course, have people that you know in your conferences and be be sure you they are the people they are saying they are, of course, and uh, don't download content you don't know what is. <laughs> it should be the moral of the story. But uh, it affects some clients as well, not the 2013 clients, but uh, a couple of the, of the 2010 clients. So um, update uh, manually or update through uh, Windows Update is uh, recommended. Ouch, so this is definitely one paying attention to. Uh, it's been a while since uh, I've, I've read about that, that kind of uh, bug affecting the, the core office products, uh, so that's a bit of a pity. Uh, but uh, uh, definitely people need to have a look at this and probably implement ASAP. Yeah, you should. Uh, so by the time this podcast comes alive and uh, you haven't implemented it, it's... it's uh, uh, on high time to do it, uh, unless a new uh, update comes from for the server uh, group. Though, if you're on Exchange Online, you don't need to worry about it because they'll do it for you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, wow, you have lots of topics today. And the, the next one is, uh, t tell us about this uh, cu custom config XML for the port query UI. So, uh, a tool I use for checking uh, ports when... Um, checking connectivity within between link servers or users uh, from subnets to the link servers or from user subnets to the edge server and make sure there are connectivity through the right ports. I often use port query, the user interface uh, edition. So port query is a free tool from uh, Microsoft. Uh, we should put a link up for, uh, for port query on, uh, on our blog. And uh, the good yep. thing about port query is that it could test UDP ports. So else you would use Telnet, right, to Telnet to the correct port and have it connect. But port query can also use, uh, do UDP. So what has been created now by... Um, actually, uh, it dawned on me um, uh, earlier in the episode that I don't know who this guy is. But he's go he goes by the name of Flinchbot. Or something? Anyone know who who this guy is? No, not that much. No, it's a bot named Flinch on his blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's obviously good. It's got our yeah. attention. So he um, created an XML uh, for pre-configured scenarios where you have uh, different scenarios you could test uh, from client to edge server, from client to front-end server, from front-end server to the SBA, from the SBA to the front-end server. Uh, so all the scenarios you, you could think of testing, uh, it will uh, have pre-configured ports and stuff. So it's a, it's a good tool. Uh, it's just an XML you add to the existing tool by Microsoft. So um, I think it was worth mentioning because, uh, one, you should use port query to uh, test connectivity to your servers. And, and two, you should use this XML file. Um. I've never used it. I always use Nmap. I've just uh, always been brought up that way. Uh. Yeah, I never use that. So Port Query is uh, recommended by Microsoft. So that's why I use it. Uh. <laughs> Anyone else uh, used it? 
Wow, no one. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about Nmap? Come on. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about... Uh, so, <laughs> so they don't use either. <laughs> Nmap is, uh, is similar. It's just a command line port scanner. Uh, you can get it for Windows, but usually you use it on on a Linux box or something. Uh, so, but it, but this uh, config file automates it for you. So you just press a button, it does it. Yeah. So um, as you see in the screen, if you visit his uh, blog, you can just uh, select a scenario from a drop-down box and uh, hit query, and it will uh, see if you can connect to the ports uh, you want to. And you can edit the XML file. It's uh, uh, fully readable and uh, it's easy to uh, to edit. Cool, very cool. We need something like that for Exchange actually as well. And with 443 on for Exchange 2013. Just yeah, press so uh, PortCurry is uh, fully usable with any, yeah, it only tests the ports. So. Yeah, uh, but I'm surprised that I haven't seen anything like that. Because uh, I, I joke about Exchange 2013, but obviously for 2010, uh, if you've got static RPC ports, that could come in handy. Uh, the jump, new Jumpstart with Brian Ricks now and Steel uh, on the 30th and the 31st of May. Uh, this is one that's come to our attention. Uh, Andrew, who unfortunately uh, can't be with us tonight, uh, has really likes Jumpstarts. Uh, they, they've been core to his, his learning about various topics. Uh, because uh, in his old role, he didn't get sent on all the, the training he'd like. Uh, so, uh, John, have, have you got any thoughts on, on the jump starts? Have you used those before? Yeah, definitely. I, I looked at the ones they did it before for 2010 back in the day, and uh, the server team, when I was getting, uh, studying for my MCSA 2012, whatever whatever it was, which whatever test that was, I used those too. And there was actually some good, some good stuff covered. Yeah, actually, I forget I used those as well. They were fantastic. <laughs> Straight through the exam. Yeah, I mean, they really did cover a bunch of stuff that uh, that definitely was on the exam, so it was good. But, uh, yeah, and if you've never watched uh, or, you know, you never met these guys um, or, or ever seen any of their content, they're, they're, they do a real good job, real personable, and, and uh, it's, you know, it's not really dry and boring. And the goal of these is, you know, help you study and, and get ready for the 7336 uh, and 337 link um, tests, um, the, you know, core and then enterprise voice and online services uh a test, um, which would give you the MCSE communication. Uh, I have, and actually, I was kind of hoping that the the second one. I passed the three thirty six, but I haven't uh, passed the three thirty seven yet, and uh, I don't really don't want don't want to wait till the middle of June. <laughs> when was that they do another the failure? For, uh, I'm sorry. Was that another failure? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say no. I just haven't took it yet. No, no, I I'm not. No, it's still like right. <laughs> I'm an honest man. I bombed it. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I so I'm, and, and I obviously detoured to take a take my MCSM, so I haven't gone back and, and gotten ready for it again. But I so I either I, I was hoping to take it before then, but actually I'm going to be tuning in if if not to to, to the uh, June 13th or 14th because I need to take this test too. <laughs> so, but I definitely <laughs> recommend anyone studying for those uh, either those two tests to check those out and um, and definitely look at their uh, blogs. Um, you know, they both have a really deep uh, background in Exchange and Link, and especially Link and and Brian I know has done a lot with TMG too, so he's a good resource on that as well yeah that does sound good yeah i have the honor of meeting uh, brian ricks and uh, aaron Steele, and uh, uh, we have these uh, mep meetings uh, since brian is also an mep and he's always the most vocal dude talking about what he needs what needs to be fixed and how and when and what he thinks so brian really knows his stuff and uh, i really recommend uh, joining the jumpstart uh, series yeah, and I, 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 I best background. I know Aaron from from back, and we worked at the same company before he joined Microsoft. So, 
Um, he's local to Chicago as well. So it's recommended. And I think I might need to sign up as well. I've still got to, uh, I've still got to do my 2013 upgrades for Link. I haven't even thought about those yet. Uh, but they are. It's about time I started thinking about it too. So yes, we'll have the, the links up to there on the blog. And uh, to make sure it's in time, we'd better get this episode out before the 30th then. Uh, uh, otherwise... Yeah, good uh, point. <laughs> if you're listening after the 30th, then um, well, see if it's uh, see if it's online. Well, it will be recorded and the recordings will be released uh, at a later time. Yeah, so if we miss the 30th, we will have uh, links to... Uh, at some point uh, where it ends up uh, and I think uh, I think it'll be a good note for us and remind us if we don't uh, to, to pop the links up to them later in the day because we know that uh, that sometimes some of uh, you guys and girls who listen uh, might listen a couple of months after we've recorded the show too yeah and the Jumpstart are free aren't they? Yes. I believe so yeah oh yeah yeah free but if, even if they charge for them I uh, d- d- definitely would recommend it <laughs> yeah and uh, and they don't take up too much of your time as well so it's it's not fr- a course that's free that's going to take up a week where you could be doing something else as well it's it's something you can do uh in in a couple of days it's the 30th and the 31st uh, and i think for is it just people in the us it is aimed at uh after work time as well so uh no all day 9 9am 9 to 5 monday or whatever day of the week it is. But yes, it's, it's, a, it's a whole couple of days, uh, to be honest. Our last link topic of the day is the link bandwidth calculator. Uh, this has now been released. Starley, I think you've been waiting for it for, for some time, haven't you? Yeah, so um, I just wanted to give a shout out to the link bandwidth calculator. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, you should. Um, uh, I have uh, taken uh, just a glance at it, and uh, it is uh, an... Um, upgrade from uh, the 2010 bandwidth calculator so if you have played around with uh, the 2010 one this uh, this one should be familiar to you so it gives out the same result in uh, these reports and diagrams and uh, I have used the 2010 one for a couple of customer cases where we ended up uh, upgrading uh, bandwidth for some locations based on what we found in the bandwidth calculator what you um, the important thing about the calculator it, it it is quite complex. It's an um, Excel spreadsheet, and um, you define uh, central sites and branch sites and amount of users and also what type of users there are in uh, the um, uh, different sites. So um, and you have medium users, high uh, users, and what kind of if they do a lot of conferencing or if it's uh, a call center, they do probably a lot of calls. So the more you know about your user types uh, in advance, the better the result will be within uh, for this uh, calculator. But it could be a good indication as well as uh, how many users there are and and what kind of bandwidth you you would need especially if you want to do QS and there are settings in the calculator for QS and for special scenarios as well. Any big surprises? Uh, no, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, as expected. They have implemented all the new codecs for 2013, especially the SVC codec and, uh, and for multi-view and uh, for uh, link room system and stuff like that. So that's, uh, that's good. So uh, I think um, uh, it's a good one, and uh, and we have uh, been waiting for it quite a while. Uh, they said there it was going to be released about uh, February, so now here it is. 
Uh, so for organizations that have put in link 2013 use the link 2010 sizing and roughly the same sorts of features uh, are they going to get any massive shocks uh, when they see the output of this i'm not sure uh, because um, when you calculate for 2013 you it depends on how many uh, peer-to-peer calls you have or especially video and uh, how many um, conferencing calls you have and how many users there are in the conferences as, and also if there are link room systems uh, being deployed you may uh, maybe have forgot about uh, that you wanted a link room system and uh, not have haven't calculated with that uh, but the codec may use more bandwidth but again it depends and scales with the amount of users so uh, what microsoft experienced that uh, the calculation value roughly the thumb thumb value should be about uh, 600k per user for video and, and stuff but uh, you needed to think about that anyway because the 2010 calculated didn't apply to 2013 so so if you haven't used it uh, and i've done your own calculations you should go back and have a look uh, just to make sure you don't get any major shocks yeah it uh, outputs some nice diagrams and you can send it over to get more money to upgrade your one uh, one links not bad everyone likes a one upgrade product <laughs> project yeah, yeah. So- <laughs> There's, there's going to be some happy faces uh, at ISPs. This will measure uh, WAN connectivity and WAN scaling and not uh, in uh, intersites or uh, local to the site between LAN subnets. Yeah. So, yeah, this is between sites. And we'll put the, the link up to that on the website. Our final topic of today, John, is not very happy with Google. Well, I never am, so that's just as a qualifier. <laughs> There's going to be no shocked uh, faces here anyway. Right. Everyone's like, really? I didn't know that. This guy uh, <laughs> And you wanted to bitch about him for a bit. I'm not sure what about, what, why. Uh, well, I, <laughs> well, I can think but, of several but, things. but <laughs> So we've been recording for just over an hour. Um, and we're going to pad out the next 45 minutes uh, with, with John. <laughs> it shouldn't be so, that long. I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a thrombosis if I, I ran him on Google for 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, so what are you most unhappy about? Well, the couple, I mean, a couple of news. You know, one, one bit I, of news was uh, Microsoft. Sorry, I've been uh, really patronizing you. You're supposed to send me down. <laughs> well, uh, on, the, on the, the upside... The, the there are some there are some important things, and this is UC related. It's not just bitching about Android tablets and I can do that too. Like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's actually something that affects uh, people who are using Link and other services, and it's uh, to do with new Hangouts and uh, and the kind of features that they what they take away rather than what they give people. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, uh, so you know, coming out of the news from last week. Microsoft announced uh, that Outlook.com will now federate with XMPP Network, you know, basically Google Talk, um, so that if you are on Outlook.com, all your contacts that are still on GTalk, you know, you can be able to, through the IM window, be able to, 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 to IM with them, which is pretty cool. And, you know, my guess is today they're just using, you know, linked to XMPP. If you don't, people don't know that XMPP is the basis, the extensible, was it, extensible uh, markup programming protocol or so. I forget the, you know, the, the one of the P's. 
And that the XPB uh, network is um, basically what GTalk and Jabber and, and some other networks use, uh, as opposed to, say, SIP for friends and messaging and presence. Link 2013 has a built-in gateway that, that will allow you to federate with XMPP environments. And so, you know, you can you can federate with those type of networks pretty easily, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's, that, that kind of uh, functionality was extended to... Um, to uh, Google Talk. Yeah, to through yeah. Outlook.com to, to back to Google Talk. So, which is great, right? So then at Google I.O., uh, uh, Captain Creepy Jr., but Schmidt being, you know, Captain Creepy, <laughs> pay, Larry Page Captain Creepy, Creepy Jr., um, came up with this with this this that, sounds know, this, so unbiased uh, no I, but come on man so so, so the, you know page is not exactly not opinion. creepy anyway so he's standing there in, in front of he's a gigantic creepy. globe like the biggest globe ever on a screen right spinning around right and and and, and going off in this weird you, tangent you about, sat like, and watched this <laughs> no I, I saw the recap <laughs> you went uh, <laughs> but anyway, so but the, the, the point of it was he, this he, week, MCM the, doesn't like Google and calls the guy who runs it creepy. <laughs> I call him Creepy Junior. <laughs> Next week, the we find out the Pope's Catholic. <laughs> but anyway, so I mean, okay, so so not only did he go on some weird tangent about like La La Land, which is which is app for Google, right? But he he also went on a tangent about how basically Microsoft's not interoperable and blah 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 and blah huh? blah blah. All at the same time. As they announced that, for people who don't know, don't know, they announced their, their Hangouts project, product, which is going to you know kind of include you know, replacement for Google Talk, but also bring quote unquote unified communications. It's also was fun to right. see all these. So, these, so just to you talk sorry. so fast, <laughs> you do you you get so much information. You, you the fuse. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm not. In it, I don't do any Google compete or anything like that, and you know I I don't really care that much. <laughs> you know, it's, Product's product, but really they said Microsoft isn't interoperable, and they are. Pretty much, yeah. They they kind of went on. You know, That's I interesting. Might bi- I might be biasing it a little bit, but basically, you mm. know, they sort of went on went on about uh, how you know one can't one company can't do it all, and other companies are basically milking off them, and it's like this weird like what are you talking about? But all the while, and and this is the point of the article we we put up also uh, Windows IT Pro did all the while on the other side of their mouth breaking all the 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 openness that XPP was supposed to be supposed to bring to the table in the first place. So it, it, it you know, tells you about the uh, well. You you could call it hypocrisy. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It definitely, it's hypocritical. <laughs> uh, I call it BS, but <laughs> but the nice phrase would be hypocritical. Um, but I mean, it does. I mean, it's going to be yet to be seen. Uh, so again, just to recap. So 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 what they basically are saying with Hangouts is that Hangouts won't be compatible with other XMPP you know federated networks anymore. That, that Hangouts in essence is going to be a closed. A closed network, um, and um, I mean, we don't have much other data than, as far as I know, other than that. But that seems to be the, the case. So, I th- that's going to have huge ramifications for for companies that, that do do use XMPP because one of those networks they want to federate with is going to be Google Talk. And so, how that's going to uh, change, we need to find out. But um, it's sort of like you know, again, it's 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 a giant pile of BS, and everyone should be calling BS against Google on this because. Um, they're fundamentally, I mean, you know, and for people don't realize, XMPP was their standard that they kind of pushed for open interoperability between IM networks, right? And now they're the one, you know, it, it was the same thing with with with, with Java. I mean, this how I can go on this total total tangent. Why I can't stand Schmidt either, you know, because he gave he he put the curse that is Java on the planet Earth, and he should be punished. He should be, should be locked in a box forevermore, and just th- rocks thrown at him every time the Java <laughs> okay, okay. update Java pops up. <laughs> <laughs> at a point. Um, but the, who's this going to affect then? Uh, you know, there's. The, there's obviously some big names uh, on, on who use Google Apps for Enterprise, but they're like not many. You know, you can count them on one hand at the moment. Uh, well, well, I think that Matt Landis had uh, 
in a blog post. He's a link MVP, uh, and then uh, he checked out how many uh, Fortune 500 companies use XMPP, and I thought he uh, found about 10 or 15 percent of those companies use XMPP. So. That that's going to to uh, yeah, and I know there's I mean th- but that means they'll be affected if they talk to partner organisations that are on Google for enterprise. Yeah, yeah, true. Right. That's not that that doesn't well, mean. Well, I, I think a I lot. think that he explicitly looked at uh, whether they were federated or not or something like that. So. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 and also the XMPP functionality is actually one. I mean, I've seen it being one of the drivers for for adoption for Link Link in general, but certainly going to 2013. And if you're on OCS, like say skip in ten, because there's more and more businesses that are having that as a requirement to federate with with XMPP networks. Obviously, there's more than just just Google Talk, but but that's going to be one of the larger ones, right? And and the whole concept that Link can talk to everything, including Skype, you know, and home users. Um, well, the, that, this is this is the whole point, though. This very few customers who are on Google Apps for Enterprise, and some of those will have probably integrate implemented Link too. Skype as a consumer product before Microsoft bought it and into the future melts the what the real people out there use you know if you if you watch tv shows and they have someone phone in through a video conference they use skype uh you know for the for the last 10 years or so most kids uh, have grew up using uh windows live messenger and, and things like that so who, who really cares if uh something that not many not loads of people used uh gets discontinued why do they why would they get rid of uh all these functionalities because no one uses them They'll replace it with something else. Uh, and, and as any Google customer or user knows, they'll scrap it as soon as it doesn't make the money. <laughs> well, true. Well, I mean, that should be more than obvious. I mean, you know, it, amongst other things they've done. Uh, this That's is not always... meant as, a, as, as um, going all John on Google. Uh, but it's fact. If it doesn't make the money through advertising or doesn't have, a, uh, d- doesn't have a, an impact on the bottom line, which... Uh, which would be Google Talk customers who are paying them money as enterprises. If that, it, it, I think it's probably a non-issue. It's going to affect uh, a few customers, and where will they go? They'll go somewhere else. They'll go to a product which uh, people use uh, elsewhere. Well, I, I see your point, but to me, it's open it's, 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 par- it's partially the it's partially the principle of it. the The company who wants to throw stones and and bitch about interoperability constantly is now the one that's that's taking an open protocol that they themselves pushed, and it has ramifications for a lot of things. Okay, so so let's just say Google Talk is, is sort of irrelevant, right? Or, or XPP networks are relevant. Um, the upcoming war over VP8 and VP9 and and OWebRTC, all of this stuff matters. They they have been doing nothing but push web-based standards that they themselves uh, put out there, and then when it when it doesn't suit them and their business anymore, they change the the playing field, and then they, all the while saying everyone else uh, is is the one. It's everyone else's fault, you know. Um, it's just it's infuriating to me, you know. But I get your point about you know whether. But it's not to me. It's not just Google Talk. It's, it's there's more ramifications that are coming down the road. I mean, we're kind of in a crossroads here of of you know uh, on-prem versus cloud and who's going to own those things going forward. And and uh, you know there's there's some other things here. I think. I think it's uh, well one battle in the in the game of uh, clouds actually. Uh, it's it's just one battle between Google and and Microsoft, or uh, in this case, well, the, Google uh, and everybody else. It's not. This ex- is yeah, against exactly. Microsoft. For, for, uh, for so this uh, Google Talk, uh, every vendor is. that can talk to each other, Google have their own opinion of, of the world, and it's completely different and at odds with the general public. And most people, apart from the odd techies that uh, read far too many blogs about 
tech in general. Um, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like in, you, you look at Google in the UK, and then they're not uh, rubbing up people the right way. They're being accused of all sorts of things with their tax affairs. Yeah, I saw that. And the way uh, they say that they don't sell anything in the UK, they don't try and encourage sales in the UK, even though they employ people at what? what looks to be sales roles. You know, it's scamming uh, the, the general public and the country I live in. Well, as far as I'm concerned, true or false, that, you know, time will tell when they get to the bottom of it. I'm not accusing Google of anything. But that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of company that they're presenting themselves to the world as. They're presenting themselves, as our politicians are saying, as an evil company. And they do bad things like that. Now they're starting to take away things that techies like. They've got rid of Google Reader. They're doing things that affect enterprises uh, by breaking compatibility with open standards. So who's who's left to like Google? There's as they go along, they're not they're not gaining fans anyway. No, uh, it's, it's certainly not with Windows Phone uh, uh, owners. <laughs> no, yeah, right. We, 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 didn't we didn't we complain about the ActiSync thing a couple months ago. Um, yeah, no, and, and, and again, one of the, the, the tax thing, to be fair, you know, and I hate being fair to Google, but uh, they're not the only company that does that. You know, pretty much every U.S.-based company does the same thing with their taxes, so they're all guilty of that. But uh, No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's... Uh, but they're the ones that are standing up and trying to massage the truth to fit them. They're the most public offender anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, again, they're also the one that also, you know, has the, you know, has more audacity of calling, you know, BS on other companies business practices too if we remember the whole search wars with with microsoft you know uh, early on and and i think that really bugs me more than anything is that that you know i mean somehow the u.s stock market is like just it has this the google has got some kind of spell over them like as you know google io's got going on and they're announcing this stuff google's stock is short stock is, is soaring based on Nothing that tangible. What? Because what, they have like you know animated gifts. I mean, what? Why, why is their stock going up twenty bucks a share because of animated gifts? I mean, this makes no sense to me. But so now you know we have this other this, this surreal kind of thing. Anyway, like I said, I can I can go on all day about this. But but you know, back to the the the, the XPP thing. I think again, it's just the the biggest outcry has been just that you know they're calling you know other people interop uh, you know breaking interoperability and being one sided and uh, and. They're demonstrating is that they themselves are more than capable of doing that, um, and you know, hey, look, and we know I'm an Apple fanboy, but within 24 hours, no less. Yeah, right, exactly. I think that's a nice detail to. For the and you know, phone. again, back to the confidence of their stock share. If 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 the CEO of the company didn't know that 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 he was lying, you know, at the same time he was lying, then then he shouldn't yeah. be the CEO, right? You know, it's like you knew damn well he knew that that the next day's announcement was that was going to be what they did. Um, and you know, it was just I was saying before, like as an Apple fanboy too. Uh, um, you know, I really wish FaceTime was supposed to be it was an interoperable standard. Where what happened to that? You know, to be just to be in all fairness, I mean, it would be really cool if we could federate with FaceTime, and especially since we all we basically are talking on the same uh, video protocol and and SIP signaling now, right? I mean, so it's just what use would that it, you know, be this, to? The, the, but you can kind of see the lines are drawn with these things, you know. But what what use would that be to your average garden blink user? You can FaceTime someone. Well, I mean, what's 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 Skype? You know, it's just a question of 
one product that they can reach out and talk to all the other networks. The, the biggest problem with IM all of these years has been, you know, like every, all of us, right? And that's why, why do you think all these, you know, Trillion and every multi-client ever came up? Because, mm. you know, you might have 50 friends on Windows Live, but, you know, you want to be friends with one person on AOL, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to have two clients or whatever. And we all have multiple presence, you know, uh, IDs on all these different systems because none of them will talk to each other. You know, the, the cool thing is that Link could sit in the middle of that and do everything corporate and everything personal and everything in between. I don't, I don't think Link needs to do anything personal, though. I don't want to. Uh, I, I see the point of selling my, it that My way, presence though, I mean. is different depending on where on who I'm talking to for a big part. Uh, my, my presence might say I'm available in the day for colleagues, but not available for my wife. Uh, and friends and, and I, well, but that's just more of a mechanics of how that handle the presence is handled. I mean, for me, I mean, look, I mean, we're, we're also faced as well. Like, do you use your phone anymore? I mean, I don't. Nobody. I mean, all my numbers are forwarded to Link at this point. My cell phone, my my home line, my landline, everything is Link. So it's like to me. I want my SIP address as my, my universal form of presence, not my phone number. You know, I mean, I mean other people are different, yeah. but I think we're going to that, you know, some sort of universal standard of connectivity for an individual um, versus having 85 different, you know, connectivity endpoints. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, by link covering from the, uh, you know, personal side through the corporate side, that that's a one-stop shop to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that, that Google's irrelevant on this, though. Uh, for most people, things like Skype are the, the universal messenger. It, it talks to Facebook. It talks to it talks to your old MSN contacts. You can use it for pretty much anything. It, it's it just seems like Google is offering something that no one needs. What are they going to replace? WhatsApp Messenger was one thing mentioned. WhatsApp Messenger is an IM client for phones, and that that's not a link competitor, and it's not aimed to be a link competitor. Well, it's but it's still part product. of. I would still argue that you know again. I mean, remember the 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 if you project that 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 mobile is going to be the key, you know, differentiator or or dominant platform going forward, right? Just, uh, you know, and whether you want to argue whether that that what's that that operating system they they they, they pedal on on the on the uh, ill-equipped to understand the differences? Oh yeah, Android. Um, <laughs> you know, the so you know as, as Android does <laughs> if, if Android does continue to to, to get a market share and, and Google Hangouts becomes the only non-interoperable uh, instant messaging and, and you know quote unquote UC app on that platform, um, that's going to be a problem for anybody else. You know what I mean? And it's going to just make more and more camps in that in that sense. Uh, people just install Skype, whatever they want to use. Uh, it seems that Google aren't going to come and block the clients that people actually use in favor of the ones that they do. I mean, okay, I was no Apple does I, that <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we both like Apple. I've got well, not as much as I used to, but the, the one thing that annoys me about Google is that you need to have a, a specific. You have to have a Gmail address and all that kind of rubbish to use their phones. You have to sign up with a, an account, but that annoyed me but well, then, that, that, that's also true for windows phone and you look at windows phone it's the same and apple well you've got to have an apple id which isn't quite the same as the live ids and google account but uh, still you know they're, they're all doing it so even something that annoyed me i can't be too annoyed because everybody else is doing it perhaps i was thinking back to the old windows uh, mobile six sort of days uh, when you could just have a phone uh, yeah the good old things. days <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm not looking back with rose tinted glasses on that. Um, I, I, I think it's a bit of a non-issue. You're, you're very annoyed about it, and people will continue to be annoyed about it. <laughs> I'm annoyed easily, though. So, <laughs> well, the the te technical part is is a non-issue, but I, I have to agree with with uh, John about the hypocritical point of of having uh, a keynote speaker that tells about negativity and interoperability, and then 
within 24 hours they discontinue announce a discontinuance of a, of a certain product that does just that it's uh, yeah that's that was something that um, uh, struck my eye uh, are they getting rid of Google Voice as well? That was another thing I heard that they were. I don't know. I mean, again, how many people? You know, people bull used it, but but uh, they had they had some serious limitations, from what I understand. I never, I had it. I had a Grand Grand Central account when it when it was still Grand Central. But did you like it until Google bought it? Yeah, pretty much. That ruins it for me. That's like the the, the, the kiss of death. What was the other app? I just went. I, I had an app on my iPhone. I haven't logged into it in a while, and I'm like, oh, Google bought you. Delete. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah we're oh. happy to be prop be, be be acquired by Google. Uh, you're done to me. Well, thank you for that balanced opinion. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all opinions are my own, not, not, not to be associated with any uh, official uh, uh, UC architects. <laughs> These are all, it's all my demented brain. So, no, I, I think some, perhaps uh, some of us share some of your opinions, but not all of them. Uh, but there's different extremes, isn't there? Remember what you know. You know, opinions are like something else, right? <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, you know, I've, I spent the, most of my career dealing with people who absolutely hate Microsoft. Um, and the opinions uh, are much more venomous the other way. Uh, you know, If you've ever seen it, the M and the dollar uh, sign that people... Oh, I know. Or, uh, yeah. I know. So Windows, D-O-Z-E, you know, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, no, you know, and... There used to be a time well, when I, I read Slashdot every day, and it's... Oh, they hate why, Microsoft why, so bad. As I became, uh, became more and more Microsoft-y from being a, a Unixy guy... I started to think, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> it's just, just I, I, yeah. Stuff I, sometimes that I get me. like you know eighteen, uh, uh, eighteen comments deep on 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 the verge about you know some Android phone, and then it just becomes a flame war, and it's like you know what? Why am I wasting my time? Although it does, it, it makes my blood boil. And I want to just I type back at half these guys like you listen, but I'm high strung. There was a time when I used to be an Apple hater too. So yeah, but vehemently. well, as, this is the thing. As long as you can change your opinions and. And grow to like whatever actually interests you rather than... Because th this is the thing, especially with Linux in general, is that uh, people can people can end up uh, being religious about something. And uh, that's not good. And that's certainly, that's certainly not what I am. You know, it's, you've got to have the best tool to use and it doesn't matter who makes it. Uh, so as I've said on previous episodes, there might be a time, John, when you know Google turn around and we do like them. No, there's no gray area. I, I mean, I am black and white. Either there is, is or there is not. There's no gray. <laughs> it is like having a conversation with a Linux advocate. It's like it's like how I drive. You know, it's either the gas is all all on or all off. There's no halfway. <laughs> Thank you to everyone, especially uh, especially my guests today and listeners at home. Uh, this show's editor is going to be Dave, who's going to do a fantastic job as always and we haven't got too much for you to edit out this week and to you at home thank you very much for listening to the show uh, we want to remind you that the uc architects are online so visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com don't forget we have got joanne's new app for windows phone if you've got one of those download that and you can see all our stuff in one place uh, but if you haven't got a windows phone then you can find us on twitter at the uc architects on facebook at facebook.com slash the uc architects We've got a LinkedIn group as well, so don't forget we've got a few questions on there uh, that we want answers to if you have a spare few minutes. Uh, and podcast episodes are, of course, available in the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, and in your favourite RSS client. And, of course, as always, see our website for links to everything that we've talked about on the show today. We'll see you back for the next episode with Pat Hosting. Thanks for listening.